Welcome to Geek on Film with your hosts, Robbie Holmes and John Hoche. Welcome to episode five of Geek on Film. I'm Robbie, one of the geeks here at Geek on Film and wanted to give you an update uh, as our listeners that things are changing and we're adding some things in. So this week, we want to take a moment to say thanks for jumping on board. It's really important to us that we get your feedback, but we've had a lot of people give us a try. Um, and now you've probably heard it at the beginning of this episode. We have uh, unlocked advertising. We've gotten big enough to have ads. i um, really excited about that. Thanks for being a part of it. Hey, guys, what's going on? It's John. I'm one of the other geeks here on Geek on Film. And, uh, you know, besides us unlocking the ability to uh, have ad sponsorship, um, we also have a um, just want to remind you that, you know, we are on social media. So if you go to Twitter or Instagram and you look at geekonfilm.com, you'll find our Twitter and Instagram feeds. Um, we also have a Facebook page. If you just go to facebook.com slash geekonfilm, we're there. And if you're on LinkedIn, we are also on linkedin.com slash company, slash geek, hyphen on, hyphen film, backslash, all that good stuff. <laughs> um, so check us out on social media. Give us a follow uh, to see what we're doing. Um, I just wanted to take a moment to also say that geekonfilm.com, we've been adding more reviews and more features. So feel free to head over to geekonfilm.com and take a look at all the work that I've put into it in the last couple of weeks, trying to add some shiny new features. Uh, we've now got separate uh, pages for each of the podcast episodes. We have a podcast landing page. Uh, I'm really excited about all that work that we've done. So please head over there and follow and subscribe on social media that John just mentioned. And also kind of like a blanket reminder about the podcast in general, guys, this is a conversation show between, you know, two, two friends, two longtime friends who are really enthusiastic about movies and television. And uh, that being said, we may spoil things, uh, you know, and we're going to try to discuss things in a calm and rational manner, uh, you know, but sometimes I got to talk about Predator 2 and how freaking awesome it is and how it connects to Prey and all that stuff. So just be forewarned as you go ahead with listening to us, there may be spoilers involved. Before we get to the meat of our podcast, uh, today I wanted to remind you we have an awesome new uh, shop at geekonfilm.shop. I'm wearing the shiny new t-shirt, uh, so you can head over there to support us. Uh, you can get your own swag. Uh, also, what would be really helpful and cost you nothing is if you rated and reviewed us. Um, it's super helpful. It gets more people to listen to the podcast. And uh, just remember, five stars is our favorite. So uh, if you could give us a hand and do a quick rating and review in your podcast uh, catcher of choice, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. All right. So here we are, the meat of the podcast. Uh, so this week's main review is going to be about 3,000 Years of Longing, which we've seen from the title. Uh, but I'd love to jump into the things that we've watched this week. Uh, so, John, if you'd like to kick us off, uh, maybe let's move into the television shows. Yeah. So one of the first things I watched this week, I mean, it wasn't the first thing that I watched this week because it came out on Thursday, every Thursday, uh, is uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law on Disney+. Plus. Um, first season's out. Second episode dropped. Um, I, I'm really enjoying this show. I, I always, I've always liked this character, um, in the comic books, especially the John Byrne run where she kind of started to break the, the fourth wall. And she's doing that in this television show and Tatiana Maslany. 
I'm saying I'm saying her name right, right? Is a uh, is a dream, and I love her, and I love her from Orphan Black, and I'll watch anything she does. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'm really liking the show. I wish there was a little more consistency to the fourth wall breaks. I feel like mm-hmm. they've because I think there's a lot having to do with all the animation and all the rendering that's happening. There's yeah. no consistency to it, feeling like it's the same kind of break. Um, I think that that would be helpful. Like I really loved in the first episode when she did the break where she like turned back towards the camera and closed the door and like talked to us. Um, I I think that right. The walk and talk aspect of some of the breaks that happened in the fourth wall just felt less consistent with what I, so I had to take a minute and be like, Oh, that's right. Like she's talking to us. They didn't give us a visual cue to like, Hey, we're now in the, she's breaking the fourth wall phase. But I do think it's good. I think it's, what it suffers from is um, it's it's coming years after so many shows have used similar tropes in the sort of sitcom world that like it's pulling this in for the Marvel universe is really cool and clever. Uh, but we've also you you and I have watched a lot of the shows that these tropes have been done in before. So I almost feel like it's it's going to suffer from the fact that this is not new to us. Um, as longtime viewers of television, but I do, I can't imagine, like, could you imagine being 12 and seeing this and like the, the rom-commy sitcom tropes that we're going to run through over, we've all seen Ally McBeal, right? Like so much of this feels like it's, it's things that were done very clever in a show for the first time, but I, can you imagine being a 12 year old kid and seeing like she Hulk doing these types of things? I think it's, it's super fun. I, I don't know that this is a show that's directly made for us, but I'm enjoying it, you know, is the way I oh, would it's put directly it. made for me. I love this. <laughs> no, just, um, no uh, I hear what you're saying. And I think in this, in this second episode, what Robbie's referring to is like, there's like a, a, a walk and talk where she's like kind of talking to us, but also looking at the new law firm that she's um, been uh, getting employed at specifically because she's She-Hulk. And yeah, I, I now that you're saying it, I remember how like, I think she might've looked at the camera really quickly. And then all of a sudden it kind of went into voiceover mode. Yeah. And I think it, it, it it works best. The fourth wall breaking works best when um, she's always direct address and you see her. And I, obviously, it works better when it's not She Hulk and when it's you know when it's Tatiana Maslany actually doing it. I think it works yeah. better because we it's easier for us to kind of like relate to her as a as a human being versus like and we're not we're not an uncanny valley. Like we're not in uncanny Valley yet and I hope we don't get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm really enjoying it. I, I think obviously like, and maybe, maybe I need to talk to a therapist about this, but like growing up, you know, she Hulk was definitely one of those, like, this is, I'm, I'm experiencing things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so kind of seeing her and, 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 you know, seeing her as, as, a a t- television show is bringing me back to my, my adolescent days. I don't know where I'm going with this. What am I saying? Uh, so I, I'll save you. Uh, I, one more, one person I really want to call out is uh, Ginger uh, Gonzaga. Who's playing Nikki Ramos, her, 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 um, uh, her right hand, the person that you Hell's, along yeah, with her. Yeah. She's fantastic. Like she's dynamic. Uh, Tatiana Maslany is great. And, and I, we both loved her in orphan black. They found somebody who has the same kind of magnetic energy. Uh, it's unbelievable how good she's doing in this show against yeah. somebody we have so much affection for. And uh, but the one shout out for me from this episode is Tim Roth is amazing. I, I love him in everything, seeing him come back to play uh, the abomination again and be 
like not in the abomination form, just having a full on conversation about like the fact that he's a changed man. And now he's written a bunch of haikus. Like it, he's just so funny. And I love the turn they've taken with this, which is like, what if you were locked in a, a crappy like superhero jail and you couldn't do anything and, and people loved you and you might want to just get out so you can go join your seven wives or whatever it is and live out your life in solitude. Uh, yeah. It's just so fun to see Tim Roth getting a chance to come back and play this character because as much as people didn't love the incredible Hulk, I actually like that film. I, I think it suffers from being before the major releases of the of Iron Man and things like that, where it felt different. Uh, but it, it stands alone pretty well. And Ed Norton as Bruce Banner is really great. Like he's intense. He's over the top, like at times. But I, I don't hate that movie the way other people do. I think it's it's absolutely part of the MCU and should be reckoned with. So I'm glad they've like had us have to reckon with the fact that Abomination is back and it's Tim mm-hmm. Roth. They didn't yeah. recast him, right? Like it, it, it lands that movie back in the MCU uh, with a little bit of uh, grace, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you know, they reference they reference uh, Incredible Hulk in like Avengers and stuff, like as uh, yeah, and it was like it was one of those early conceits that we we had to do where you know Mark Ruffalo is ref- referencing a movie that he wasn't in because it was a different actor, but. Um, yeah, I think having a really to... great fourth wall break when when Bruce Banner when when Smart Hulk is talking to her and she's like, you know, uh, I was a different person then, and she like smirks and like looks at the camera, and I'm like, yeah, this is because we all know, like, yeah. it's just it's it's great to have that little nod of like, yeah, yeah, uh huh, we know, we know, yeah. uh, it's it's cute, you know, I think that's it's a fun mo- it's a fun show for sure. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what how it integrates itself further into the MCU. Um, I think that's what we're gonna see, like the the stinger at the end where it is the clip from Shang-Chi is, is really great. Cause now it's mm-hmm. absolutely anchoring her and this show into that universe. And now yeah. we're going to have to reckon with like, what is her impact going to be? And I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I, there's nothing, I can't throw another adjective at it. It's fun. She's yeah. fun. The character's fun. The show's been fun. Uh, I, I look forward to watching it every week. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, uh, it's I'll, like... I'll run. I'll run from fun. Uh, I am Groot. Uh, <laughs> there's not a single episode that is uh, going to have an impact on the MCU at large. Uh, but boy, what a fun and clever show! I can't. Mm-hmm. You know, each episode is about three minutes and fifty seconds uh, if you take off all the credits. But it's adorable. I, I watched it. My wife kept coming in and watching them with me because, and I finally was just like, "Do you want to just watch them all?" Because like, it's it's eighteen minutes of your life, basically. Yeah. Um, it's so it's so fun. Uh, I you watched it last week and you talked about it like you could watch all of these in no time flat, and you're like, I, I was like, yeah, I, I want to do that. So this week I made it. I made the time, and it's 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 a blast. What what a fun rendition of a little sociopathic child. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And also like the, uh, just like, uh, visually like the world building that they do when he goes to like different, different planets or like the, I, I think I, the one that stuck out to me as I, as you're talking about it is like the, there's a, there's a episode where he goes to like a spa and he, there's like mud that kind of makes his, his leaves grow. And it's like, it I, chia root. yeah, it's, it's really adorable. Yeah. It's it's the whole thing is so fun and and it's very playful and absolutely something that you could watch. I, I kids could watch this without even. Same thing with most of what's going on in She Hulk. Like I don't know that we need the the stinger moment uh, from the first episode for kids, but like in the We're end, we're going to be able to talk about that in public. 
I know. Uh, but I, I think this is a, a really fun show that I think is, is scratching a lot of itches and also yeah. is like just really nice connective tissue to reminding us why the, the guardians of the galaxy that's coming up is going to be so serious. I like yeah. that this is like lightening the load a little bit going in because I know that film is going to make I, everybody coming out of comic-con basically talking about being tears in their eyes in the first 20 seconds of the trailer for the next guardians film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that we have these lighter things that live in that universe to remind yeah. us how much fun it's been up to this point. And they've earned those tears, right? Oh, yeah, uh, and I think absolutely. This, these group like minis are really a fun moment for us to remember how much fun we have at these characters to start with, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, well, also, I guess uh, to try to segue off a of Groot there, I, if you're international and you're, and you're on Disney plus, if you don't want to watch, I am Groot or she Hulk, uh, you can watch only murderers in the building, but in America, you can watch it on Hulu um, my wife and I just finished, uh, season two of this. Uh, have you watched this at all? I have not. It's one of the, the most highly talked about shows that I haven't watched. And also one of the most nominated. Um, yeah. I, I really do want to get to it. I'm, I'm a fan of everybody involved. Uh, I'd love well, to hear your talk about it. Well, as someone, as someone who is a fellow podcaster now, I, I think you should especially, uh, ch- try to check it out as soon as possible. You know, uh, the, the, what happens here is you have, you have Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez, and they um, they all live in the same very fancy Upper West Side apartment complex. Uh, and there's there's a murder. That's kind of season one. And they kind of they don't they don't kind of they do they get together to try to solve the murder and they make a podcast out of it. Uh, and then they're you know it was so successful that they should do it again and then there was a season two because of the really great cliffhanger that season one ended on and i just finished season two and and granted you know i sometimes season second seasons aren't as strong as the first season i i I would i would say that's kind of the case here but it's still super enjoyable um just the dynamic between the three of them is fantastic kudos especially to martin short god i love that guy he's he's so funny and will will do anything and say anything um but uh but also kudos to selena gomez to like holding her own against these two like you know like hall of fame comedic actors who are super close in in their own right you know with like all the movies they've done and and um and their connections like that um but I really enjoyed it. It's 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 a fun, you know, serial mystery whodunit kind of uh, show, and uh, and Selena Gomez actually like is actually obsessed with true crime podcasts. Um, apparently, she goes to uh, true crime conventions with her mom, where they all go into like a banquet hall and they're given an envelope. And then someone says, like, this is the things that happen, solve this crime. And, like, her and her mom actually do that. And I wonder if that's how she got connected with this show. Um, but you should definitely be checking it out. I, I'm excited. I, I definitely want to check it out. Uh, we've been talking about a lot of very fun and light shows uh, up to this point. I'm going to hard turn us into We Own This City. Uh, that show is uh, definitely in the uh, vein of shows like The Wire and – and uh, there's no better way to describe it. John Barenthal mm. uh, is unbelievable. He's he's amazing in everything I've seen him in up to this point. I yeah. I will keep following him uh, into every show and movie he wants to be a part of. Uh, he has shown his his ability to 
change who he is physically. Uh, this is another example of that. He's, he's so animalistic. Uh, you know, it's a show where he plays a cop and uh, eventually a cop on the, the gun, the, the, the group of detectives that chase down guns in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, and this is and based off a true story, right? I believe it is. Um, what's amazing about it is his physical transformation. Um, it, when he goes from being a rookie to his, his physically not as confident to the point where, uh, I mean, the show, you see it in the trailer. He's at least being investigated. The mm-hmm. first time you see him in the jumpsuit of a criminal and he's walking, his shoulders are rolled forward. He's almost walking like a, like a, a full grown ape. Like his, his physical prowess, he's so intimidating. Um, and he's talking to like other cops and the cops that are walking him through his just guttural way that he talks his physicality. He's obviously going to get nominated this year for an Emmy. I, I can't, I'd be surprised if he didn't win, but boy, his, he, the whole show is full of amazing actors and he's yeah. just icing on top. Like every scene with him just feels like he's vibrating. Uh, yeah. It's unbelievable energy. <clears throat> yeah, I know that he he himself put a lot of research into this show going into it. Uh, I remember watching an interview with him and I believe the showrunner and um, he'd come to set and they'd be talking about like wardrobe or, or certain lines uh, that were in the script. And then he would just be like, well, I wouldn't say that because of this and this and this or I wouldn't wear that or this is what I would wear. Yeah. And they were like you know more about this topic than we do. So we're just going to defer to you. So whatever you want to do, just go ahead and do it. And, you know, I, I, I think he's a, an incredible actor and I, I like, um, and just like uh, seeing him in interviews and just like, uh, he's just very fascinating. And yeah, um, he's super I, contemplative and he, re- his approach is always really interesting. One last shout out. Like I, one thing I've often talked about in alien is how the sound tells you where you are. Right, because half of the movie takes place on the ship, half of the movie takes place on the surface. But the background noise of the surface, that general white noise sound, and the yeah. crispness of being in the show uh, in the ship, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's so amazing. In We Own the City, you know where we are in the timeline by Berenthal's hair and facial hair. He's so clean cut at the beginning as a rookie. By the mm-hmm. time he's in, he's he's being investigated. His hair is shaggy. He has a he has a double edge fade. His hair fade has now gone into a fade to his beard, and it, it, it's physically a transformation that you see just quickly in a scene. You know where you are in the timeline by what his face looks like, and and it's just such an amazing like note that I I walked away from because the show jumps around in time a lot. Yeah. So sometimes it's they they show his timesheet as the what he's doing in that moment, and it has the date as the last thing they put in. So you know what the next sequence is going to be, but mm-hmm. you didn't need that. If you're paying attention to his look, his facial hair and his, his actual hair on his head, like he's got like moppy hair near the time he's being investigated. Whereas like, he's this clean cut rookie when he starts like his hair, he's obviously like just come out of the Academy, right? Like, um, and, and there's some really amazing, like layering of the experiences, like his experience coming in as a rookie, the next person who comes in, who becomes his partner, who's a rookie and, and the scenes almost mirror themselves, right? Like how they talk about being a cop in Baltimore. Uh, the, the show is clever. The acting is unbelievable. And I, I would be very surprised if it wasn't nominated for like ensemble, uh, any place that an ensemble can get nominated, but yeah. also like good luck trying to choose uh, best supporting actors uh, 
male or female from the show, it's, it's brutal. Everybody's amazing. Um, the woman who's leading up the, uh, the task, the task force to see what's going on in the city. Um, she's unbelievable. The, she, uh, I, I, I can't remember her name, but like everybody in the show is really hitting on all, on all cylinders. It's, it's such a great show. That's awesome. And I'm up to episode three. So like, I'm, I'm not even halfway through the show and I'm all in like, yeah, man, I you're have to still... break. you know, like it's so yeah. intense. It reminds me of reading the walking dead. Speaking of a show that Barenthal ended up in, but like when I read the comic, I would, I would read a trade and I would be like, I need to like scrub my brain and take a breath. This show is so intense and I love intense shows that I need to take a, take a day or two before I watch another episode. Cause it's, I just need, I need to sit with what I just watched and I need to be ready to go back into it the next time. Wow. Yeah. Well, how many episodes are in the season? Uh, I think it's eight or 10. And they're all available on HBO Max, right? Uh, Yes. HBO Max show. uh, I believe they've already dropped all the episodes. Cool. Yeah. So what was your last uh, show that we were talking about? Uh, I stumbled across this show again. It's on Hulu. here in the six, six parts. Oh, okay. Uh, So you're halfway done, man. Yeah, it's I I'm, I'm, I want to slow roll it even more now. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I found a show on Hulu. Uh, I guess it's I'm assuming again it's probably Disney Plus internationally, um, called Maggie. And I, this is one of those things where we were just my wife and I were just kind of flipping through like what's available on Hulu, and we're like, what is this? Um, it's a show uh, starring Rebecca Rittenhouse. Uh, who I don't know what else she's done, but she is a psychic and uh, she kind of meets the man of her dreams in a psychic vision, but then she, uh, but then she also sees him getting married to someone else. And it's, I don't know, it's a really endearing kind of lighthearted, you know, like, um, com like comedy drama situation. Um, Rebecca Rittenhouse is really, really charming. She's her friend Nicole Sakura is the actress, uh, and I really loved her on Superstore. I don't know if you ever watched Superstore. Yeah, I love that show. But um, so uh, Nicole Sakura plays like uh, a yoga teacher on the show, and she's a little ditzy, uh, not as ditzy as she was on um on Superstore, um, but also um, Maggie, played by Rebecca Rittenhouse. Her mom is Carrie Kenny, who uh, is from like, um, she was on like the the state and um, Reno 911 and things like that. So she's she's hilarious. And then Chris Elliott uh, plays her dad. And it's it's a really cool role for him because he's like more just like, grumpy dad in this and he's playing it like more straightforward than some of his other crazy things like if you've watched Shit's Creek yeah where uh his character on that is like kind of a buffoon he's less of that and it's it's really nice to kind of see a, a different side of Chris Elliott um but the show's really charming it's all available on um on Hulu I think it's like 13 episodes and it's just like a warm little slice of pie about, you know, a little psychic who, you know, is trying to fall in love. And it's really, really cute. And everyone's attractive and, you know, good stuff. 
Uh, yeah, I, it's full of people that I really like, so I, I, I'm not, I'd be surprised. Uh, uh, the main actress was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and she's done a bunch of other shows. Uh, so she did the uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral television miniseries. Oh, uh, I did not see that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. So like, uh, she's been around and, and very much a working actress, it seems like, but her big break seems like it may have been that television show where she was playing Ainsley Howard one of the main characters. So mm. that seems to land her. And, and now she's, uh, yeah, she seems to be moving forward. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I, yeah. I look forward to seeing it. That, that's one that I will, I'm sure that Amy will love. So yeah, it's uh, super, super cute. <laughs> um, so we don't have any, uh, house of the dragon to talk about because it does, it hasn't dropped this second episode. Cause we're recording this morning on the 28th. So, uh, mm-hmm. I do, uh, have been revisiting Westeros a lot, uh, with my wife. We're in the middle of our rewatch, uh, so this week uh, we uh, ripped through episodes uh, three through six in season six. Uh, so the door is the big standout episode for me, uh, which is a really unbelievable episode where tons of like mysteries unfold all at once. Uh, it's the episode where you find out about Hodor and his background and why he why Hodor is Hodor. Uh, right. And it's also one of maybe the saddest scenes. Uh, it's. I'm sure it's been a while since you've seen the episode. The sequence where you learn about his history is only about 45 seconds. Um, but it's really it feels so much longer in my memory. Yeah. Um, I was like, wow, we're getting to that. I can't wait to see it. I, so much of the episode is going to be about this and you get to like, no, no, it's just, it's, it's epically short and terse and powerful, wow. like blew me away, uh, going back and watching it. Um, and again, I'm watching it on 4k Blu-ray at home. So, uh, the Atmos soundtrack of the, the white walkers attacking in, in caves and hallways, like the sound is unbelievable. And, and I, I didn't have that experience the first time watching it. A lot of it seemed very muddied. Um, and, and the show is just, I, I'm not breaking any ground here, right? This show is amazing. Getting a chance to go back and watch it in 4k with Adobe Atmos soundtrack is it's, it's worth it. It's worth going back into oh. that universe. Um, HBO Max just released uh, upgraded versions of every one of the episodes streaming to get ready for House of House of the Dragon. Right. But again, there's a big difference between physical media and streaming 4K and Dolby Atmos. Uh, they're always going to prioritize the video uh, over the audio. So mm-hmm. the audio is always going to be what, what is basically talked about as like stepped on. It's not going to have as much data for the audio track, no matter what, um, e- even if it was perfect and in a perfect world, the physical media is always going to win, uh, having more bandwidth between your 4k Blu-ray player and your television and your soundbar or, or your speakers. So, yeah. uh, I'm just so excited to be watching this amazing series. Um, getting right to the end of where Benioff and Weiss just took and ran their own story for a little while. So mm-hmm. we're at the end of George R. R. Martin's uh, story, but, it's been amazing to get to this point and it's unreal. Uh, we're, we're like two episodes from the battle of the bastards. I think uh, I I'm so excited to get back to that. A- Amy is like, it's not her favorite episode, but I just, it's such a, a titular episode in, in the show and an important moment. Uh, I can't wait to get back to it. And also this time I will see everything that happened as opposed to how muddy and dark it was when we watched it the first time. Cause it's a oh, big wow. battle. Yeah. So I, I'm excited about all these big battles that are about to happen at the end yeah. of season six and the beginning of season seven that take place in the dark because so much of it we didn't actually get to see if we watched it streaming on HBO back in the day. It's so amazing. Like thinking about like, you know, like I feel like game of Thrones just like became part of like the culture 
mm-hmm. and like you forget how much time passes. Like I'm trying to think about where I was when I watched the the Hodor episode, and I was like, "Wow, my life is like kind of completely different now." Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like thinking of thinking of when you think of television and where you were, if you can remember, um, as benchmarks. It's like, wow, a lot has happened since since Hodor. So. Yeah. As I kick my microphone, I apologize. No, I, I mean, even if you wanted to drop back into the series, it's one that I would say like that episode stands. There's so much that happens in that episode that you will remember if you were a diligent watcher anyway, that like yeah. that would almost be enough of a refresher to move forward. Like it is this really amazing culmination of a lot of mysteries and a lot of stories all in one episode. And that's yeah. episode five of season six. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next episode is where we get back to, uh, the phrase and, uh, all the fun that's going on with them, uh, and Sam and, and Gilly, uh, you know, there's a lot of fun in that sixth episode for sure. But I think that fifth episode is one that was probably nominated, uh, for an Emmy in and of itself because it's mm-hmm. such a, uh, an amazing episode. Um, it, it was just great to revisit it. And I, I feel like that's the one where when people come over and they want to see something, Game of Thrones, 4K, Dolby Atmos sound. That's that might be the sequence I show them is from the moment that uh, you know the the Night King uh, re-enters the realm. Spoilers! Of, spoilers! Spoilers! Yeah, yeah. But where the, the Night <laughs> King didn't even exist in the book. So um, if, if you're here, we're we're, we're already past that. Uh, yeah. So I, I think overall, I'm really excited. I can't wait to finish it out. And and it's it's been really fun to revisit it with my wife. She loves. She has so much affection for the show and absolutely has no love of horror in any way, shape, or form. And and was sort of suckered into Game of Thrones because they didn't tell you what was going on when the show started. And the show yeah. opens without really. It gives you a little nod towards where we're heading. Um, but she was on board early, and then by the third season, you're in a completely different world uh, and a completely different type of show than I think she was going to get. And uh, she always talks about the fact that like she she loves the show so much that she didn't care like how gruesome how hardcore it got and uh you know I, i'm really excited to finish it out with her and, and continue into the house of the dragon uh, i'm really looking forward to tonight's episode i think we're gonna I, i'm very excited to see where uh where our friend uh damon targaryen goes i think he's going home is what my guess is but i, I don't think it's gonna be for long is it would be my guess mm-hmm. uh, to see what matt does next so uh, that's we it for me on television. Uh, anything else for you? Uh, as far as television goes, not much other new stuff, I think. Uh, nothing that came to mind or anything like that. But um, grab the first film. Yeah, I, um, I found myself with a little bit of downtime here and there and very close to an AMC. So I was able to pop in and... I remember seeing a trailer for this movie and I was like, oh, that could be interesting. Not many people are going to talk about this. So maybe I'll check it out. Uh, So I saw Delia's Gone Mm -hmm. and oh, I know why not many people are talking about this movie. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not going to drag the the movie like through the mud and stuff. Um, It was not my favorite experience. Um, Yeah. Really quickly, it's the story of a um, a man who has uh, intellectual disabilities, and his uh, his sister is found dead um, in uh, in his living room. He is charged with the murder. He spends uh, a little time in jail. He gets out, 
and starts living in a halfway house and then someone comes to kind of uh, spur him into thinking that maybe he didn't murder uh, his sister. Um, now, the thing that really is uncomfortable is um, this movie stars, let me make sure I'm going to, this movie stars Paul Walter Hauser. Uh, he was in If Beale Street Could Talk. He was also in, um, oh, no, no, sorry. Paul Walter Hauser. No, no, I'm talking about Stephen James. Yeah. Yeah. So Stephen James uh, is the main character in this. Now, Stephen James, as far as I know, based on his other IMDb uh, pages and things like that, he does not have intellectual disabilities. Now, if anyone has seen Tropic Thunder and knows what Ben Stiller says about doing something a certain way that you shouldn't, that kind of happens in this movie and it's really uncomfortable and it's really unfortunate. And um, the way that uh, they chose to kind of just on the surface kind of be like, oh, what are the cliche things to do about people with intellectual disabilities? I'm just going to do those and choose when to do them and when not to do them. Um, now that I talk about it, it actually gets more and more infuriating as the movie went along. Um, the movie, the the plot of this movie is really paper thin. There are no uh, twists, turns, or climaxes. Uh, and everyone in the movie kind of takes it way too, like they're overly, they're taking it overly serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you can tell that I, I really enjoyed it, can't you? Um, <laughs> I think that one of the best parts was Paul Walter Hauser, who was in I, Tanya, and he's done some comedies and things like that. Uh, he plays kind of like a sheriff. Uh, he he was a, did a very serviceable job. Uh, Travis Fimmel's in it. Do you know Travis Fimmel? He was he starred in Vikings. Oh, I haven't watched Vikings. Uh, oh, uh, he's he's been in some movies past Vikings. He uh, I don't know his origin of birth, but he has a bit of an accent that he never quite. When he does an English accent, he can never quite get rid of his uh, other accent and he's supposed to play Marissa Tomei's brother and like Marissa Tomei is like doing full on Pacino in this movie. <laughs> um, so you're like, how the F are they related? Yeah. It looks um, like he's from Victoria, Australia. Uh, y- Yuka Acua a- uh, is the town. Um, okay. So yeah, that that's probably what you're hearing. Yeah. Um, well, regardless, uh, I was not a big fan of this movie and I'm kind of mad that it was made. <laughs> and I, I, I know that we try to like, just have conversations and we try to be positive about all the movies we've seen. Um, but I was like kind of blown away how, how, how bad this movie was. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is a guy who likes, this is a guy who likes, uh, Alicia Silverstone shark movies. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, talking about bad, uh, I want to jump into John's fault. Uh, the final movie of the predator franchise. Uh, I finally watched the predator. This movie's uh, better than Delia's gone, by the way. Wow. I would, uh, you, you probably had more fun watching the predator than I did. Delia's gone. I chuckled a few times, especially near the end. Uh, the squad that's with, uh, the main character Quinn, 
Mm-hmm. They have some funny uh, chuckle worthy moments at times for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, overarchingly, this movie is pretty bad. I would say uh, I really looked forward to it because, uh, well, I know there's been a lot of negative reviews of it, but the fact that it's a Shane, Shane Black directed film, I was hopeful. I like kiss, kiss, bang, bang a lot. Right. The, the second Iron Man movie, uh, third, third Iron Man movie, I jokingly called uh, Kiss Kiss Clang Clang for a long time. Like <laughs> it really felt like it uh, could have been a sequel in lots of ways to what Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was doing. Um, but I think it, this this is I've, I've had a list of films on Letterboxd for a long time that is, uh, you know, worst use of a great cast. Um, so I think there's a new hashtag here. This is that film. Uh, in so there's so many amazing actors in this film. Uh, Boyd Holbrook, who plays Quinn, the main character, plays the Corinthian in Sandman. He yeah, is, he's also in um, Logan. He's so charming and he's so charismatic, and he's like a vacuum of charisma in this movie. Uh, his wife believes in him, and it's even though they're not together anymore. But like, what 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 drives her to even? He's a great soldier, right? Like, get it. Cool. She has a monologue and says it. Yeah, I know. I, it blew I'm me not away. defending this movie, by the way. I, I like. I I actually enjoy this movie. Um, yeah, there are a lot of faults with it, and it it actually it went through a ton of re uh, rewrites and reshoots. Like, there were major reshoots on this, and there was a lot of um, like I don't know if you're aware, but like there was some major controversy in this movie where. Um, like Olivia Munn, Olivia Munn's character, she plays a scientist who knows kind of, well, she kind of is like Stuff an alien. About aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so her first introduction into this, uh, into the movie is she's kind of being um, harassed by like a guy walking his dog in a park and she like tells him off. Uh, and that whole scene was shot and everything like that. And then Olivia Munn found out that, um, the actor who was a friend of Shane Black's was like a known sex offender, sex harasser. I didn't know that that was this film. Okay. Yeah. So then she was like, she, she told the studios and was like, I, I want that, you know, I don't want him on the set. I don't blah, blah, blah. And things like that. And she didn't get a lot of backup um, from Shane Black and stuff until later on when he publicly was like, I didn't know, but you're like, dude, he's your best friend or he's a friend of yours. So, um, there was a lot, yeah, there's a lot of drama, but yeah, the, there's, all, men- there's a lot of problematic, like representation situations in this film. Yeah. From, from Tourette's yeah, Tom- to yeah. Thomas Jane has Tourette's spectrum. and stuff. And- like, yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a rough film. Uh, yeah. but, but when you think about it, like if you think about some of Shane Black's other stuff, it's like, maybe like he, he. I think his films are very enjoyable. I think everyone refers to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I'm like, I think that was like not just Shane Black. Like you can't just give all the credit to Shane Black on that movie. You know no, what I mean? It's Michelle Monaghan and and Robert Downey Jr. and, and Val, Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Yeah, yeah, three yeah. Three of them. Like uh, they, she should have. I'm so glad that she's got a show right now that she's leading Michelle Monaghan mm, because yeah. she's still unbelievably charming. I would watch her in anything. 
Yeah, and, yeah. and that's where it started for me. She's so good in that film. Like, you know, take take aside that she's beautiful and all those other things. She's charming and fun and believable. Like, yeah. it, it's what you want on screen. And and she's still like, I, I now follow her on Instagram because I'm so excited to see that she's getting a, a bigger bump in her career at this point mm-hmm. in her life. So like, I'm trying to help her like bump her social media numbers, like just things like that. She's, uh, yeah. So th- I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a film that J- Shane Black gets a lot of credit for that yeah. we should probably reevaluate. Who yeah, gets yeah, that? and you know? and um, you know, like as far as the Predator goes, like this was the this was supposed to reinvigorate the franchise, kind of pull it a little bit away from like the Aliens versus Predator stuff to kind of set the Predator franchise back on its feet, but it didn't do that, and thankfully we. We got things like Prey, which hopefully now that is kind of the redirect uh, for the the franchise, and we get we get more. I think I think we said this in the Prey episode, but I think that the future of the Predator is going into the past. Like we don't need any contemporary movies, we don't need any future movies. Although there are a lot of great things that you could pull from from the comic books, like the Dark Horse comic books, and. And now that Marvel has the IP for Predator, we'll see where that goes. Um, but um, I think like Feudal Japan or, yeah. or you know, like coming back to, um, you know, a battle with the Comanche Nation for the sequel to Prey. Like, I think I think the future is in the past for for the Predator. Yeah, I, I think overall, I, I'm, I'm glad to have watched all these films. So I have them for context. But this movie uh, is probably like the f- if it was the six movies, I think it is. This is like number five uh, or four, in, in my opinion. Uh, are you talking? Are you ranking them? Yeah, I, I was like I the worst. I don't need to do all of them, but it's definitely well, Predator not- versus. Well, Requiem uh, is probably the worst film of all. Of yeah, them. totally, one hundred percent. But then there's a question about Predators because Predators. Uh, no, sorry, Predator Two. Or this film, they're both pretty bad, in my opinion. So, I, I, I wait. Think Predator Two versus what? This film. Oh well, I don't know, man. You just have so much affection for that film and those early films because that's the type of film you loved and that you watched. Yeah, you know that were important to you. I think if, if you're just taking it on, like the acting in this film is probably the the acting, the script, and some of the effects and stuff like that. This film felt more realistic. That felt like a comic book in in film form or a cartoon. Like it didn't feel going back and watching Predator 2, there's just so little of it that feels like it's the real world. At least this film some of it feels like it takes place in the real world. And and well, yeah, but also I think that's that's a product of the time too. Like you know, yeah, you know, like um without their ridiculousness. You know, like I, I think that some people were taking Predator Two very seriously, whereas some people weren't, and and they were working on the same movie. Yeah. And you know, I think as time has progressed, you know, where 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 the Predator lands in the canon, it's like there's a there's there's different things. It's like you know, Shane Black is coming because he's got a lot to prove. Yeah. Uh, the studio has a lot to prove, so they're like, let's treat this a little more serious, and then they they shit the bed anyway. But yeah. Um. So I think you have the last film we're going to talk about for today. So let's jump over to that one. uh, The last film I'll try to talk really quickly about was one that I enjoyed so much. Um, I think you should totally. I think I have a deathly afraid of falling. Forget about heights. Oh, God. So, dude, 
like I will I will I will solidify hashtag John's fault <laughs> if you go see this movie. Um, so I, my wife and I saw this movie called Fall, and I took her to see this movie without her seeing a trailer, knowing this movie even existed. And I wanted to go see this movie based on the trailer and specifically because it says from the producers of 47 meters down or 47 <laughs> meters below. So this is like the same production people who who did the movie about getting trapped in a shark cage at the bottom of the ocean. That's um, that's her arm butter is is a shark cage at the bottom of the ocean, right? Like yeah, you yeah, love so. movies with a lot of arm butter. She's a big fan of a, a shark in a cage uh, way down at the bottom of the ocean. Arm butter is the weirdest people. <laughs> Can people are like, what the F does that even mean? Uh, go um, watch any film that the rock's been in in the last 10 years. And then think about how much it costs to make his arms glisten like that. Right. 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 Um, but anyway, so yeah, so this movie, uh, it's, it's called fall. It just came out. Um, it stars grace, Caroline Curry, which you, if you saw Shazam, she's Mary Marvel oh, cool. or I don't even, I don't know if they're calling her Mary Marvel in the Shazam world, but that's, that's the character she is. And Virginia Gardner with a, a, a brief kind of uh, part by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Mm. What we have here is um, uh, two girls who are experienced climbers, extreme uh, climbers, like with mountains and stuff like that. And um, uh, one of them uh, loses her husband uh, her husband falls to his death uh, very early on in the movie, and it traumatizes her, uh, so she can't climb anymore. She and then her friend comes along, and is like, "Hey, I." She so her friend now is like a YouTube celebrity, and she goes on all these extreme extreme things. She comes at like the one year anniversary of her her friend's husband's passing, and is like, um, "I'm going to climb." The B sixty seven TV tower, uh, which is the fourth apparently, which is the fourth highest structure in America right now. It's in the middle of the desert, and it's it's literally just an antenna that goes straight up with a flashing red light on it, so that planes don't hit it. That's how high it is, and they go to climb it, and like terror ensues. And the so the movie is really interesting because it's like it's just it's literally just a, a piece of wire going straight up mm-hmm. what can you what, what kind of story can you tell and they there's a really engaging story there's some scary ass things that happen the build-up is great and also you know as someone who is a, a big fan of like theaters and things like that if you can see this on the biggest screen possible i think you definitely should check it out um, there are so many shots of, of, you know, like the beautiful surroundings or the desert and just this like line going up from the ground. And it, it really enforces how tiny and minuscule they are on top of this like super tall tower. And um, yeah, and like literally my wife and I were like on the edge of our seat, like freaked out. At many times during this, it's action adrenaline packed. Um, I'm trying to form words and I'm just getting so <laughs> amped up just like thinking about how good this movie. And also kudos to uh, Grace Caroline Curry and Virginia Gardner. 
Um, they already have like pretty great careers as it is, but I feel like, I don't know how many people are going to go see this movie. It is tracking well, uh, I think at the box office, but like they both should be superstars. That's awesome. Uh, it's a film that I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to drag myself to see it in a the theater. I will definitely watch it when it comes out on streaming. Uh, but if I, I think you should, Oh, you're making me nervous. Uh, if you had to choose between Delia's gone and fall, please see fall. Oh, I, I mean, there, you know, there are other films, right? <laughs> no, no, no. That's the, I'm going to actually call up. I'm going to call <laughs> them up. Them being, whoever I need to call and just be like, big cancel cinema. every like, big cinema. I need you to make sure that Robbie, yeah. can watch one of these two films. Dear big cinema, please <laughs> close down the theaters except for Delia is gone and fall. So Robbie has to make a choice. That's not a Sophie's choice because it's clear which one you should see. All right. We, we are done talking about all the things we've watched this week and we're about to get to our main review. So let's jump over to that. Uh, this week, we both uh, got a chance to see 3000 Years of Longing. Uh, I'm really excited. I, I saw the trailer for this. I, I, I guess my, my question to you was, what was your feeling going in? I, I, I don't know that this was a film you were super excited to see to start with. So like, let's start with that. Like, what, what was your feeling going into this film? Uh like, I'll be completely honest. Like, I think that I wasn't, this movie wasn't on, uh, up this, this movie was not a priority to me. And I think that I was like, well, we need something to talk about. And I think we both agreed that this is, this is, this would be a good one to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I saw, I've seen the trailer a couple of times. I knew who was in it and I knew who, who was the director. Um, and I think, you know, going into a movie with no expectations, uh, you always kind of leave either affirmed or pleasantly surprised. And uh, this is one of those times where I was I was pleasantly surprised. I do have questions and I do. There are some things that I think it would be interesting to talk about here about the, the movie. But all in all, um, I thought it was a really enjoyable film. Yeah, I think uh, we should probably get into like George Miller and the George Miller of it all, because I think that Mm -hmm. this is one of those films. uh, I'm a huge fan of the Blank Check podcast with Griffin and and David. That podcast Mm -hmm. talks about the fact that like sometimes a director, an auteur will make such an amazing film. They'll be given a blank check to make anything they want next. George Miller is so far in his career that he doesn't need to actually make new films to get a blank check. But this just Mm -hmm. feels like post, you know, Mad Max Fury Road. Somebody was just like, you want to make what now? And uh, $60 million? Cool. Like they they gave him this sort of, it feels so blank checky when when you break down and you think about it as what the story is, right? And I think the shorthand I've been hearing recently is like adult Aladdin in lots of ways. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, I think it's a very, that's, that's oversimplifying, but right. yes. Yeah. Um, but I think to try to get people on board with what, what this film was, I think that was an interesting shorthand. Uh, I think this is a movie, um, I, I've been thinking about it a lot. I, I listened to a couple of podcasts already that talked about this film. I, I, I think 
what this film really solidifies for me is that George Miller just loves storytelling. Like it is, it is, it is a movie that is really a love letter to storytelling in, in more ways than one. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, I mean, that's the thing. It's a movie about storytelling. Yeah. And yeah. it just shows his affection, like the, the amount of care and love that has gone into every frame of this film. You can feel it, right? Like you could feel it when you watch Mad Max Fury Road and you can hear all the stories about that, where they like sped up, frames and they slowed down frames and everything when he, he and his director of photography talks like everything at the center of the frame is the most important thing in that frame to tell the story they're trying to tell i i don't feel like that level of precision in this film but i do feel that level of care and love that's gone into every single frame of this movie um i almost wish uh one of the podcasts i listened to is the next big picture and one of the things they talked about was it would have been interesting maybe to have the stuff shot in the hotel room and anything that shot quote unquote in the real world, if that had maybe been done on film and everything else being done in digital formats, uh, I think it would have been nice to have a little bit of a texture change between the two uh, because it, it has this sort of very fantasy. You're looking into a, a, a story coming to life in the stories that are being told. I almost wish there was a visual representation of that transformation. If it was that they went into film or they moved into digital from film. I think that that texture change would have been really nice, but that's a woulda, shoulda, coulda. I I think I I would walk away from it and say, this is a movie that I I was excited to see. Uh, It it was, it was part of uh, the con film festival this year, but it wasn't in, uh, it wasn't uh, trying to go for the Palme d'Or. It wasn't in competition. Uh, it was a debut. So that was an interesting choice. I don't know why it wasn't in the competition this year. Um, but I think I, I walk away from it with, uh, A, I want more films like this to be made, right? Like I want big swings on big ideas in the in the cinema world done. That's one of the reasons I was excited that we were getting to see it opening weekend. Um, mm. I I took my wife to see it with me. Uh, she doesn't always go to the film, uh, you know, especially films that we're trying to squeeze in. I, I sometimes I'm seeing them around time. She can't make it. Uh, we went out of our way to make sure she could see this with me. And she, she walked away. I think feeling similarly, she, she enjoyed it. And I think the longer I'm away from it, the more I feel like I walked out of the theater, maybe with it as like a C plus film. And if we were going to give it a rating and I think I'm, I'm kind of now at a B minus or a B. Uh, I, I love the Idris Elba in this. I think he's fantastic. Uh, I think the scenes with him and 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 uh, and, and Tilda Swinton are really unbelievable. Um, I, I I really loved this film. I, I yeah, I think. Well, I think before we get too far into it, for the people who haven't seen it uh, and might be interested in seeing it, just really quickly. Uh, so what what the film is is it's uh, Tilda Swinton is a narratologist. She she uh, follow, she studies narratives uh, and the linking of like think like narratives in other cultures that like kind of like like gods are all like kind of the same and stuff like that so she uh goes to a conference and she fought in istanbul and she finds a a little a little glass vase that she likes in a shop and she all of a sudden uh starts to clean it and uh oh my god it's idris alba and he is a djinn uh, also known as a genie and uh, she has to make three wishes and the fact that she is a bit of an introvert and is very content with her life. Uh, she's not really needing of wishes. And also she is a narratologist and she knows all the narratives about genies or gins and how they're all cautionary tales about um, how wishes really don't fulfill anything. And instead they kind of are the demise of people. So they, 
the 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 movie is them sitting in a hotel room in in robes for the most part, uh, and she and and Idris Alba is telling her his many loves, how he's how he was trapped in many different bottles, and and um and that's kind of we are shown the world that that Idris Alba has um has kind of lived for for Eon, and that's most of the movie. Yeah. So I think the the big takeaway for me is like there there's so much care put into every every segment of the film. I'll, every one of them feels like it could have. It, I think it harkens back to uh, the 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 fairy tale show uh, that was on PBS in the eighties. Um, yeah, uh, I I tried to. I, I was thinking about this as um, there was a show I used to love called Jim Henson's Storytellers, which was. Um, it was like the second half of like the Jim Henson hour on ABC where like this, this, this older man with a dog would be like, here, sit down. I'm going to tell you a tale. And then all of a sudden it would transition into an amazing Jim Henson, you know, creature shop show about, uh, a Grimm's fairy tale or something. And that's kind of very much what we got here. Yeah. The show I was thinking of is Shelley Duvall's fairy tale. Theater. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has this sort of feel of like, uh, you're getting a story told for you uh, specifically to make a point, right? Because so many fairy tales are really morality tales. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and having uh, her character, Tilda Swinton's character, uh, uh, Alethea, um, know that most of the time it's going to end badly for the person making the wishes. And then having uh, Idris Elba's character explain how he's been encapsulated and put into c- containers and mm-hmm. how every time she, he comes to the end of a story, she's like, well, you, see, look, bad things you yeah. keep ending up back in the bottle. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and, and him having to sort of show that like, no, this is a movie about in, in lots of ways about storytelling, but it's also a story of love. Like, and, and, and how he ends up back in the bottle, you're you're constantly questioning whether he's a trickster or whether or not he's being open and vulnerable with her, right? And I think that's the interesting piece of this is there's no real tip of the hat until you get pretty solidly into the third act about where he stands. Um, yeah, I think that I there are- that. Yeah. I love the fact that we're questioning the whole because Idris Elba is charming and handsome and believe it. We like you believe that he's otherworldly. He looks amazing in this movie, but also yes. like he's just such a great actor. Like I believe every story he tells that he's absolutely in love with the person he's talking about or like his commitment to the character, his commitment to storytelling. I think it was fantastic casting to, uh, you know, I think Tilda Swinton is, is a unique actress in lots of ways and often I don't know that the the people who cast her use her properly. I think George Miller in this case really does. He he cast her to play this like offbeat, introverted, introspective person. And I think she was really good for this role, especially against an Idris Elba, right? Like as soon as he arrives, he's like, he's oozing charisma from the moment you see him. Like, and, and she's awkward from the moment you see her. Uh, I mean, that's interesting you say that because I feel a little opposite about where I think where Tilda Swinton excels is she is very like she can do like the weird obscure interesting um are you thinking like Snowpiercer or or things like that yeah like I think that's where she excels and I feel like George Miller um as far as the two leads go in this 
Um, granted, they're also like bare. They're not in the movie a lot because the <laughs> the stories are so the tissue of the stories. To be honest, the, the the stories that they're telling are are brought to life so amazingly. But I feel like she was a bit muted um, in this, and I and I would be curious as if 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 there was a different casting choice, if it would have been more impact if there if her relationship with Idris Elba would have been uh, more impactful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I like, I, I'm a huge Idris Elba fan and he, I think he is a super megastar and it was nice to see him in, in, but, but I also felt like he was subdued too, but maybe he had to be. Um, well, I think he's, he's giving you that otherworldly calm aspect. Like every yeah. time, questioning him he he has to keep reiterating i think his points and what he's trying to get to because she's so questioning of who he is and whether or not he's lying so i feel like his whole thing is trying because we even see him lose his cool in one of the stories right like yeah that's true and frenetically try to get someone to make wishes. And I, I think he's very contemplative. He's been, it's been 3000 years of his life as a, a character stuck in bottles, basically. Um, so I think he's very contemplative about how he approaches this woman. And, and there's a big difference in what you see in the individual stories. Like the first story about him and, and Sheba is unbelievable. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the most visually orally, like, diverse stories i've seen the way they depict sheba the way they depict uh, solomon the 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 music being played by like all of it the instruments it's it's so different unique and beautiful and he looks so at home next to sheba in the bed or or hovering around the like he just looks like he belongs there i think the casting of him is so important to the to him being able to fall in and out of the stories that are being told and the real world, you know, but you know what the interesting thing about, so, you know, the interesting thing to me was also, um, so the movie starts with Tilda Swinton saying like, just a voiceover saying how, like, uh, we all love stories, but like we, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, but it's like, I'm going to tell you a story and it's, it seems to be easier digestible as a fairy tale. So once upon a time. Yeah. So in theory, the stories that we're hearing Idris Alba tell are being filtered through Tilda Swinton. Correct. Because Tilda Swinton is telling us the stories that Idris Alba is telling. So like we are seeing everything from Tilda Swinton's point of view. So right. it's I think her that's imagination an- of the story that he's telling is right. is right. Whereas like who's to say that the gin is as debonair or as suave or as loving as, you know, Tilda Swin, you know, she, it could have been that. And, and I think, you know, she could be infatuated with him. Sure. And I know that like, but it, cause like, I think there is a moment in the movie where she stops writing the story she's telling us. Mm-hmm. And if you notice what I thought was interesting about that was like, she stops writing the, the story. She closes the book. And from that moment, on, like she meets back up with spoiler. She meets back up with, with Idris Alba and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. To my knowledge, he doesn't say anything of, of note. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's something that I'm trying to like unravel and, and deconstruct as, and, and you know, I'm using this podcast as a conversational piece, but like, 
Yeah, I think there's a lot to unravel here as far as like the idea of isolation, of yeah. being introverted versus being extroverted. Um, I think we're also think, in un- unreliable yeah. narrator worlds, right? Like, yeah. I think- that's the the way that that really broadcast itself to me was that the second story is about a woman who uh, is intelligent and and extremely intelligent, but young in a world where women are not allowed to be sort of the the imagineers, the thinkers, and the way the woman reads books and her tick is the same one that Tilda Swinton's character has on the plane. When she reads the book, she uses her finger to go down the page, mm-hmm. and yeah. her leg is twitching in the same way that Tilda Swinton's character is on the plane. So I I believe that is the lens of her as the storyteller for a shorthand for a smart and intelligent woman, Mm. right? So like her, her aspects of her life are applying themselves even to the protagonists of the other stories um, because she could see herself in that character. Right. Yeah. Um, Can I, I need to, can I unpack something? Yeah. And see if you, what your take on this. So, uh, I'm, I'm curious. So, uh, Tilda Swinton arrives in Istanbul. Yes. And she's met at the hotel by like a questionable figure. Uh, at the airport, you mean who yeah. wants to take her bags? Yeah. And he's have, like, and and that person, this is and, yeah. like there's another cool. segment of the film that is explaining her predisposition to insights into the non-human realm because mm-hmm. there are two times this happens yes. early on in the film yes. and neither one of them are explained. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And the second one is actually a character who's in the second sto- yes. the third story. Yes. So it, none of it makes a ton of sense to me as to why they showed us that. I'm uh, wondering yeah. if all of this is in her head. Yes, it's very possible that she's sitting contemplatively in her home in London. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that also is a, um, I mean, I, I think you could, someone could argue to like, well, it makes you think, but no, I think also something fell through in editing or something fell through in script writing where for some reason they left these like, uh, early, um, seeds of like, a mystical magical world in uh and yeah i feel like instead of they just leave a giant loophole in, uh in the script yep yeah there's there's a there's a really something there's a storytelling gap of why they this is being shown to us that we as the audience are not privy to and and i yeah. it just it, it creates this vacuum for me of like i think you're right i think there's probably like six minutes of footage somewhere that, that got cut out of this film that cause they were trying to tighten it up for release. Yeah. That I think are I, missing. I, I'm so, so Tilda Swin hears these stories and then the thing that, and then I'm, and I'm, I'm really enjoying all these stories. And then all of a sudden she makes her first wish. Mm-hmm. And that's when like, it kind of loses me. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, th- so, so Tilda, again, spoilers, but Tilda Swinton's like pretty much her first wish is for the djinn to love her. Yes. Right? Which tends to be, in these types of stories, out of bounds. Yes. 
But also, it's like wish for love is not usually possible. Usually, it is here is a potion that will make them feel something, but it's not actual love. Right, Uh, and I feel like that wasn't earned. I feel like there weren't, um, there wasn't establishing shots or dialogue of Tilda Swinton kind of like going in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Idris Elba's charming as fuck, so I get it. But also, uh, logically, like, I didn't see her journey to come to that decision. Yeah. Um, and then after that. Like there's an internal monologue also that we should have been exposed to a little bit. Maybe she should have, like, asked him to step out of the room. She should have had a moment where she journaled, like, or something. she herself in a mirror. Like, some, some right. story trope that gave us insight to why she finally decided to. Yeah jump into the wishes portion of the story. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's very, in, the, the something that I thought is interesting and I know we're jumping around, but so please, whoever's listening, please try to, I, I apologize, but also try and get on board and follow along, I guess. Um, so there's a moment also where um, Idris Elba was like, tell me about you. And then uh, what did you have a great love and things like that? And like, she tells us, uh, as she tells us, oh, there used to be someone. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that important to me. We f- we fell out of love, but then we're shown the fact that, um, you know, I don't know if they. I, I, I assume they were married, but we show her looking through a scrapbook with a pregnancy test in it, you know, and obviously the, she's not with, with note, child, and she, you know, well, so something is happened. The pregnancy test says the last picture of the child's name. Yeah. So, you know, like, I mean, even there, I think that there are interesting plays on what we're shown versus what we're told, what, what characters are willing to tell people versus what is the truth. Um, and I think it's, what also is interesting is like, you know, um, when she's telling about this past love that she's had, she gathers up all the things that remind her of him, puts it in a box and puts it in the basement. Yep. Um, and, you know, that is kind of, I mean, I don't know if this is like, duh, John, of course it is, but it's like compartmentalizing and like, you know, pushing, pushing memories and emotions down and putting it in the basement. And, uh, you know, the, it is very interesting that I thought um, at some point near the end of the movie, that kind of does happen to Idris Alba's character yeah. as well. But then. Well, and, and one last thing on the child but, is the child's name was Enzo, which is, was her childhood imaginary friend. Oh, right, right, right. So there's right. again, this unreliable narrator just keeps like the longer you try to probe the story. I think the more you unravel, you unravel and the more the story unravels without explaining itself. Yeah, because like, for example, it's like if she packed away the gin or or the genie at the end of the movie, why does he come back or is he back or did he ever leave or was he ever here or did he ever exist? And there's a I feel like, yeah, you could probably like this is one of those things where like either I don't want to say this is like super sloppy screenwriting, but. I want, I'm going to go in the opposite direction and say it's like it's very complex screenwriting where it can be analyzed quite a bit. Yeah, I, I, I think that my, my takeaway is um, 
I think this is a film that I was glad got made. I'm a, you know, you and I, I think are both really big George Miller fans. I'm so looking forward to Furiosa. Um, you know, uh, the movie he's filming right now where Anya mm. Taylor-Joy is going to take over the titular role. And I, I couldn't mm. be more excited for that film. Um, but when this movie came out, I just, I, w- I love the idea of adult adult fa- fairy tale storytelling and that George Miller was the one taking it on and cast mm. amazing people. I, I don't know that I would say this is the most successful of his films, but I do want to say I wanted to support this because I want more films where Idris Elba is at the center of the movie and is the main... And, and, then you and see Beast. Oh. <laughs> I, I might have to see Beast. I, I you mean, see Beast. Man, man punching lion is really. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I'm not, not trying to take away from this movie. I did. I did enjoy this movie, and I, I. Yes, I totally agree with you. I think more movies like this should be made. I think people should be taking risks. I think that, although I do love like studio system franchised movies that are interlinked, as it were, and you have to wait till the end credits to see a jumping on point. I'd love those movies too, but uh, for every one of those movies, two of these movies should be made. Well, and one last shout out I want to say is like the effects in this film are gorgeous. Like every aspect of him coming out of the containers, every time that we do something fantastical in the stories, every it's, 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 it's beautiful. I think this is a film that could easily get nominated for so many of the below the line categories. Uh, production sure. design, costuming, right? Like even even well, hair, right? Like it, it, the, the little touches of, of his pointed ears not being perfect. Uh, yeah. You know, like there's there's just care taken. You know, the, the his skin has like like rivulets of gold running through mm-hmm. them. You know, like it, it's unbelievable how gorgeous this film is and sumptuous is the way I would describe it. Like every story that you jump into, it's it's decadent the way that the yeah. story is being shown, you know? I also want to, I, I, I totally uh, support everything you're saying. And also uh, this was the first movie that I actually saw in the credits, a dramaturg. Nice. Um, and I don't know based for on, based on a short story, the the gin yes. in, in the Nightingale's Eye by A.S. Byant. Right, um, and I this is to my knowledge the first time I've ever seen a dramaturg um, be credited or even be in the credits. And for people who don't know, like a dramaturg for me being like a theater actor, like there's usually always a dramaturg. Those are the people that kind of help the story shape. Uh, they, they kind of facilitate a space for the playwright uh, to kind of um, write a story. Um, but also they also facilitate like um, historical evidence, uh, things that help not just the playwright, but the actors and everything of like that kind of make sure that, there's a bit of accuracy to the fantastical worlds that they are creating. And, um, and that was something that I think hit me in this movie too. Uh, and I'm, it, it kind of saddens me that you have to think this sometimes because we're not, uh, we're not there yet, but I was like, Oh man, this movie is really going to some really very exciting places. I hope that it is, um, doing it in the right way. You know what I mean? As far as like, I really was like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to like not dance around it, but I'm also can't finding the words, but you know, like 
in a world of like where brown face and yellow face and things like that still occur and um, we're not culturally um, uh, responsible sometimes uh, in our art, in our filmmaking and people aren't represented. I remember like moments in the, uh, when I was leaving the theater, I was like, well, I hope, I hope that was, I hope there was some good rep- representation in that film. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm hoping that because they gave uh, credit to a dramaturg that that was the case. Um, I think one last standout for me was, I, I would say the, uh, the score is unbelievable. Uh, mm-hmm. Junkie, Junkie XL score from the trailer. It, it's, it, you know, the trailer from the sound, like even if you're not looking at the screen and how amazing it is all the way throughout, I think it's, one of those like score being part of the storytelling is so obvious. Um, I was just listening to a podcast about first man and the, the person who, who composed the score was actually in the Academy conversation. And she talked about how they were, they went from like sounds that they thought they wanted as a base to how much silence was a part of the storytelling in space Um, and it it made me really think about this score and how I was moved by it. Like so much, there's amazing like nods towards the time periods and things like that in the score. But I think Mm -hmm. there's a beautiful storytelling aspect that is all that's why I mentioned that be this being such an oral sensation, like there, the sound is, is also sumptuous, right? The sound effect Mm -hmm. score that's being presented, the, the hearing, the, the, the stone fall in the second story and exposing the gold bottle, you hear the mm-hmm. stone hit and then you hear the clink of the metal because the stone came off, right? Like just little aspects of the sound effects in this film are so intricate and important to telling because then the woman's eye is drawn to it. Who finds it, you know, like the, the, yeah. the falling and cracking of the stone of one of the characters in that storyline, right? Like the, the, the crushing sound of that fall, the crack of the stone, the, the, the little hint of metal under like it's all there. And, and I just think it's one of those films that like the, the below the line categories are, are definitely like fodder for nominations across the board, whether it's at the guild awards or whether it goes all the way to the Academy. I think this mm-hmm. film, will, film will be represented pretty well in, in awards time. Yeah. And kudos also um, again, in a, in, in a world that's very superficial and, and a medium that can be very superficial, there's a lot of unconventional body types on this, on yes. the screen in all their glory. Um, and they're not really punchline, right? Like, yeah. As, yeah. It is the story that we're telling. And I think that's really, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I was really yeah. impressed across the board. I, the more I, I, there are definitely some storytelling questions I've had walking away from it. But I, like I said, I, I think I walked out of the theater to C plus and I, I'm now it's sort of like a pretty solid B um, about my feeling about the film. I think, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to live on in my mind for a really long time. Just the sequence of seeing him uh, come out of the bottle the first time and you just mm-hmm. have it foot pop through the door basically is so yeah. aladdin but also unique in this film. Like it's, it's yeah. throwing a nod towards what we've seen in the past, but also doing it in its own way. And, and the color of his skin texture and the, the, the flecks of color that are all, he's not one color, but he's mm-hmm. all colors, right? Like it, it is, it, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I think I feel like I would give this, I, I mean, if it was a star rating system, I'd probably give this maybe three stars. 
yeah. out of five. I'm pretty solidly um, in the three and a half star camp at this point. I would say if we're, if yeah. we're half stars, um, I, I'm definitely going to write up. Uh, I, I, I haven't put it on Letterboxd except for the fact that I watched it. And I think that's where I'm landing at this point. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. trying to decide if this needs, we've really spent a lot of time on it today mm-hmm. here. I don't know that I need a written review. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we've, we've captured everything I think I would even put in writing and, and more so in this conversation. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see where this goes next uh, for, you know, Furio- Furios is a solid movie that I, I will see in the theater um, opening weekend for sure. But I, I'm just excited to see that people seem to be going to see this. It's a movie that's going to be confusing to a large portion of the film going audience, but I'm hopeful that the names above the title get more people into the theater to see it. Well, I also think, I think, I think you can passively watch this movie and not really be affected by it. And you're just like, okay, cool. It's like, it's a movie. Uh, but if you engage and you like are, are an active listener and watcher, like, like, like we're having, I mean, that sounds really pretentious, but like we're having a conversation about the film. Um, and I think there's a lot to impact talking about this film in, in ways that I don't know that everyone is going to, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, have you seen, When's the last time you saw Happy Feet or uh, Babe in the City, also by George Miller? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen any of those films, either of those films. But it's one of those things that you have to reckon with when you see a movie. That's why I said I think this movie is a giant love letter to storytelling. But I think if you look back at George Miller's directing across the board, you can see that every one of his films is really just about storytelling. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he, he ended up in a cul-de-sac that was the Mad Max world for a little while, but it's one story that yeah. he's trying to tell. But I think, yes, those films are so important. Like I was going to ask you what your first George Miller film was. Uh, what was your first reckoning with him as a director? Uh, did he, did he do all the Mad Max films? Yes. Then Thunderdome was my first experience to him uh, as a kid. And that movie, uh, seeing that as like a young, young kid, uh, you're a little confused why why Tina Turner's there, yes. <laughs> and uh, you're just like scared at of all like the crazy, like ha- like ba- like barely dressed road warrior type people, um, and and there's kids and there's like you know there's like that's kind of a Lost Boys movie, and that wasn't even supposed to be a Mad Max movie anyway, so. Um, that was my first experience with him. Uh, so initially I was, you know, that kind of was like a weird moment in time for me to see, uh, and I kind of stayed away from the Mad Max franchise because of that as a kid. Um, yeah. And then I was like, how is, how is happy feet the same person? And wait, we're going to watch a movie about a tap dancing penguin. Um, and, I, I, you think know. For, I think for me, it, it was probably Tina Turner's We Don't Need Another Hero music video is the first thing I probably saw of his. Uh, but the mm-hmm. first like fictional story was probably the segment of the Twilight Zone movie, uh, Nightmare oh, at 20,000 oh. Feet. Uh, I, I still remember that. That's the one with the gremlins tearing apart the plane. Yeah. Uh, boy, like visual storytelling, creepy, like scary to a kid, uh, but not gory, like just affecting is the way I would put yeah. it. Um, so yeah, it always makes me think back to like, when you realize just how complex his filmography is, mm-hmm. uh, I, I definitely watch babe pig in the city. I, I was a summer camp counselor and after school counselor for years. That's a movie we showed, I don't know, hundreds of times over the time I was mm-hmm. a counselor because it's such a wholesome and fun film. Uh, 
but happy feet is, is so vibrant and alive and, and fun, like, and cute, you know? Well, with a really intense ending though. Yes, absolutely. But he's a, he's a great storyteller and he, it doesn't yeah. matter what vector he chooses. I, I think you mm-hmm. see it here also, like we're talking about the script and the un- unreliable narrator aspect, but we're, we've talked now for 30 minutes about how, much fun the sub stories were and, and jumping in and out of those. And, and, you know, like craft wise, yeah. Craft wise, um, 3000 years of longing is, is, I think is really incredibly crafted. And I think, um, you can't take that away from it. You know, I think if anything to me, there's like, there's some script problems, but all in all, like, you know, it's a very interesting movie to see. I think that, you know, the, the highest quality you could see it, you know, it's like, don't watch it on like, this isn't a movie for like, uh, an airplane. Yeah, I would say, definitely not an I think, film. you know, like I think moving forward as we record these geek on films, watching a movie on an airplane is probably the worst way to watch a movie. In my opinion. I mean, maybe there's, there's exceptions to that, but for some reason, you know, watching that's like, to me is like the worst way to watch a movie. I'd rather watch it on like my, my iPhone than on an airplane. Yeah. Um, but uh, so but don't I, watch I this on an airplane. I think you're right. Yeah. Like the, the best visual, the best audio that you can, you can get your hands on. Um, and for some people like, you know, we, we've now really far into this podcast. Uh, you know, like I, I'm not a huge fan of like, of, of bad cinema experiences. Uh, so do your best to look around. If you got a sh- shot to see this, in an art housey high end high flutin theater, do it. Like I think that's yeah. probably where you're going to find it anyway. Um, uh, you know, for me, I think Cinemark or a- Angelica are probably the two closest to me that I would suggest. But mm-hmm. even the AMC that I saw it at, it looked fantastic. Like, um, but so do yourself a favor if it's in a a fancy version of that, right? Like a Dolby Cinema or the XD or or IMAX or, you know, or whatever the RPX version at Regal, right? Like if you can get the best sound you can, I think it's really going to impact. And those, yeah. those cinemas also with the high end sound, like the Adobe cinema or the RPX tend to have like good digital projectors that are really high end and, and, and lots and lots of data. So uh, you're, you're going to really, it, it's going to do you a, a, a solid if you, if you pay the extra $3 to see it in that cinema. Yeah. I think we're good. I don't think we have anything. I have nothing else to say about this film, except uh, you should probably see it before it leaves the theater. I'm worried about what it's, uh, it's, it's box office take is going to be. Um, so I expect it'll be on streaming sooner rather than later, but if you get a chance, see it in a, in a, in a theater. Yeah. What is this up against this weekend? Nothing. Is this up against we're, anything? we're in like no man's land. You, you saw fall. And I think that's, that opened two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, East opened two weeks ago. So there's not a lot. I mean, it's, it's up against like, really it's probably main competition is Top Gun Maverick still. Um, maybe DC super pet league of super pets. Um, we still Minions. don't have, yeah. Grew the rise of rise of grew. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't know that there's a ton. What, what, oh, this is one thing I did want to mention. This is the first film I've seen where I walked out of the theater and a large portion of the people leaving the theater were probably 40 plus a uh, mm. lot couples seeing this film what uh, yeah. that has not been my experience since the beginning of the pandemic to go and see a large contingent of people um who went to see a film that are are not teenagers or 20 somethings 
Uh, It's been that experience for me is mostly that's who I'm in theaters with, but having people walk out talking about how cold the theater was, or, uh, you know, like was a very different experience than I've had. (laughs) Sweater next time. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really interesting, but hearing uh, a different audience, this, this drew in a different audience than I've seen at theater in a long time. Yeah, I could, I could, I could definitely see that. Uh, my, my theater was not, um, pretty, I mean, I, I, I think there might've been, uh, five other people in the theater, uh, when I saw it. And the only thing I did notice is like a mother and her two very young kids tried to sneak into the theater and then all of a sudden there was a lot of nudity on, on screen and she got, she got right up and pulled those kids out of the theater, uh, lickety split. Um, this has been really fun, John. Thank you so much yeah. for uh, for going to see this film. I know it wasn't one that was on the top of your list, but I do think it was a, a really great experience for us to be able to talk about it. So, um, yeah, and I think you know that's 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 kind of the beauty of of coming and meeting together and and uh, just happen to hit record on a, a you know to to record what we're talking about. But you know, like I think that uh, going down the line, there's going to be a lot of films that you know, you and I might not see, but we're going to see it for the podcast and we're going to, you know, it's going to just like make our appreciation for the medium even more so. So, yeah. I mean, there's always John's fault, so don't worry about it. I'm sure I'm going to see films I don't like. Um, Let's uh, let's do a quick uh, reminder of how people can find us. Uh, if you've made it this far in, uh, if you want more of us personally, uh, I'm Robbie the Geek everywhere online, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the places. So feel free to track me down. Uh, I will always be talking about what we're working towards on Geek on Film before it becomes public uh, in those vectors. So uh, I'd happily have you all uh, follow along to see what to expect in the next episode. Uh, John, where can people find you? Yeah, and you can find me on uh, most social media at J-O-N-H-O-C-H-E. That's my name, John Hoche. Uh, And then, you know, um, yeah, just uh, I think that, again, like we said earlier on, if you could uh, give us a review, give us um, and like if you could write a review, that'd be really great. We'd love some feedback on how we're doing. We're five episodes in. Um, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, and we'll, we'll take that into consideration. Um, but all, all that stuff, uh, as much as we can engage with you and you can engage with us, that helps us to kind of push the podcast forward in a, in a great way. That's it. Episode five in the books. Thank you so much. John. Alrighty. Look forward to Bye, guys. Have Woo! A this has been a geek on film podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.